Welcome to this, the next edition of our daily devotions coming to you from Church of the Palms in Sarasota, Florida. We sure hope that you will feel free to share these devotions with those that you know and love. Let's now take a moment to be still before God in prayer. Let us pray. By your grace, O Lord, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, beginning at the 15th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. Paul writes and says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I think most of us know enough about the journey of the Apostle Paul, originally named Saul, and how he employed a great um, zealous spirit about being a Pharisee and having such certainty in his mind as to what was right and what was wrong, including the fact that those who believed in Jesus were wrong, so wrong that he presided over many of their deaths. But of course, we know that Paul had this amazing conversion experience on the road to Damascus where the light shines and he's able to see a whole new and different truth and he begins to realize that he is being claimed by God to be about a whole different life, a whole different purpose. And Paul kind of carries this reality with him for the rest of his life. And it's from there that he shows this amazing strength and resilience to be a preacher of the gospel in all the regions of the Roman Empire. And we, we pause perhaps and wonder, how is it that Paul achieved such an ability to be so strong and resilient and courageous as he sought to deliver the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. But it was that grace, that grace of Christ that he encountered on that road to Damascus that met him and filled him. And I believe was very much the very thing that controlled his life and gave him the courage that he needed 
because he knew that it was not him, but it was Christ in him that brought about that spirit and that resilience in order to stand for the gospel in all the corners of the world. And I wonder about that in terms of our own lives, about our own sense of resilience and courage and strength to stand up to that which is in the world that brings bad news to so many corners of the world, how we can be agents of the good news, how we can stand firm for what we believe to be true, as did the Apostle Paul. And in thinking about all these things, I got thinking of a, a book uh, that I read many, many years ago, which um, I'm not sure there's any other book that's had as much of an impact on my life. Well, maybe there, there are several others, but this book in particular comes to mind when I think about the courage of the Apostle Paul. And it's a book written by Timothy Tyson called Blood Done, Sign My Name. And it's a story, true story, written by Timothy Tyson about his father, Vernon Tyson, who was a pastor, Methodist pastor up in North Carolina during the 1950s and 60s, where he lived and served in a segregated town and served a church that believed in segregation. And yet Reverend Sight Tyson was one who believed in the vision of the gospel that all people are created equal and all should be together. And so this story sort of chronicles his father's ministry and all the many positions he took and all the pushback he got, and pushback is a light, is a, probably a, too gentle a term to, to define what kind of reaction he had from his congregation. But I wanna to read to you a little story about uh, his father's encounter with his congregation over the invitation that he had given to uh, an African-American professor at North Carolina Agriculture and Technical School College University. He invited this professor, this president of the university to come down and preach at his, at his congregation and never had heard a person of color preached from their pulpit. And so as soon as this is announced, there's a begins to be this backlash from this congregation that they don't want uh, a person, a black person to be in their pulpit. Kind of hard to believe these days, but it was very much the reality uh, back in that time. And so the story picks up with um, the need for the pastor to call together the congregation to, in order to try to win the day so that they would um, not stand in the way of this pastor being invited to preach. And uh, Mr. Tyson recounts the story this way. The day my father's parishioners held a protest meeting to oppose daddy's invitation to Dr. Proctor was the worst day of all. Dr. Proctor was the president of the university that he invited to come speak. But Daddy strode into the fellowship hall, all shoe shines and handshakes, confident that he could win them over and carry the day, and found instead that he had walked into a hornet's nest. Daddy was stunned by the hostile reception and disappointed in his own performance. Our faith is really being stretched, Mama wrote in her diary on January 31st. At the meeting tonight, Vernon was hurt to the core. Several made terrible cutting remarks to him. He just took it, but afterwards shed tears. When Daddy came back to the house, there was more bad news. Things were just as about as bad as they were going to get, Daddy recalled, thinking about that awful day. 
And when I got home, someone had just called and said they were going to blow up my house and do harm to my children. And Martha was very much afraid. Daddy walked quickly upstairs, tears welling in his eyes, wondering what on earth would he do. Truth is, he told me later, I might have backed down if it hadn't been for your mother. I didn't want to lose. I, I just could not think about losing. The main thing he did not want to do was to disappoint Mama. But she followed him upstairs. Martha grabbed me from behind and squeezed me tight and said she'd rather live on a five-point circuit on minimum salary for the rest of her life than to see me sell my soul. She gave me permission to fail. If she hadn't done that, our, our marriage could have fallen apart or I might have turned tail and run. But she grabbed me from behind and told me to stand my ground. The segregationists put their own kind of squeeze on Daddy, though when some of my father's supporters began to back off, the weak tea of moderation flowed freely and went like this. Vernon might be right, but it isn't worth tearing the church apart over. Well, at six o'clock the night before Dr. Proctor was scheduled to preach, Daddy called an emergency meeting of the church's administrative board in an effort to ease the controversy. It may have been a tactical error. Some of the board members angrily demanded that my father cancel Dr. Proctor's appearance the next morning. One of his adversaries kept pushing the telephone on the desk toward him saying, you can end all this with one phone call. Others began to ask Daddy why he thought this one service was really worth the painful breach that loomed in front of them. This thing is going to tear this church apart, one man insisted. Just as the meeting threatened to dissolve in an uproar, a quiet, dignified, older woman rose to speak. Miss Amy Womble, who was 60 years old and, as others described her, an old maid school teacher. She walked with a limp, and Miss Womble had been a first grade teacher to most of the people in that room. The community honored her, but nobody had any idea what she thought about the burning social issues of the day. I've been just sitting here sort of listening, Miss Amy said, and I hear one of us saying that this is going to tear this church apart. She looked directly at the man who had said it. Now, I, I don't know the man who's coming to speak very much. I, I know he's president of A&T, and that's all I know, but I know our pastor, and you know him too, and he's not going to tear anything apart. And I don't suppose Dr. Proctor's going to tear anything apart either. No, if there's going to be any tearing done, we're the ones who are going to be tearing it ourselves. Miss Amy slowly hobbled to the front of the room and told the silent group of her former students a story. She said, you know, there was a case up near Chapel Hill recently where a teenage boy went around a curve too fast and was killed in a car crash, or so they thought. He was down there by the side of the road, and they were just waiting for the ambulance to come and take him to the funeral home. There wasn't any signs of life. But then an airman from Pope Air Force Base stopped, and he was home on furlough, and he saw the boy lying down there, and he scrambled down the embankment and opened that boy's mouth, as she continued, and, and saw that boy's tongue stuck in the back of his throat, and he ran his finger back there and pulled out that tongue and then gave that boy mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. By the time that ambulance got there, Miss Amy said that boy was walking around as live as you and me. And the next week they had a big dinner up at the fire station out in Orange County for that airman celebrating how he had saved that boy's life. She paused once more. What I haven't told you is that that boy who had the wreck was white and that airman that saved him 
was a black man. But that's the truth, she said. And I want all you fathers to tell me something. She looked searchingly around the room. Now, which one of you fathers would have said to that airman, now you don't run your black fingers down my boy's white throat? Which of you all would have told that airman, don't you dare put your black lips on my boy's mouth? My father, who retold the story in later years, included the day that he preached Miss Amy Womble's funeral, said, I have never heard the voice of the Lord with such thunder, such wisdom, such love. And something miraculously happened. The board voted 25 to 14 to stand with Reverend Vernon and welcome Dr. Proctor. We feel so blessed, my mother wrote in her diary. Afterwards, several of my father's friends and allies took him out for a quiet steak dinner. It was the fourth anniversary of the first sit-ins at Woolworths in Greensboro. Blood was still flowing, but barriers were still falling, although Dr. Proctor could not have joined them at the restaurant. But that was just the beginning. You know, it's perhaps hard for us to imagine having the courage of someone like the Apostle Paul, who, though considering, considering himself the least of the apostles, was filled by the grace of God, the grace of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be who he was and to stand for the gospel. Hard to imagine being in Reverend Tyson's shoes or in Miss Amy's shoes to have to stand up to the issues of the day but we give thanks that that grace is available to all of us, that we can be the people of God in whatever time and place to embrace the gospel, to stand up for the gospel, and to be the people of God so that the gospel may be proclaimed throughout the land. Let us pray. We thank you, O oh God, that you have been raised from the dead to Show us that you can conquer all things, even the issues of the day, if we would but embrace the grace you've given us in your resurrection to be the people of the gospel, to stand up to the powers that be, and to show the world that there is one who transcends all things and whose life in us is forever. We pray this in his name. Amen.